All right. How's everybody today? Good. Good. Well, you know, if you want to get humbled, just have Drew introduce you. That's all I can say. I'm, I'm not sure I can live up to all those things, but I'm really glad to be here. I'm honored, actually, to be with you today and hope that we have a good morning this morning together. Do you know, I'm actually from this part of town. I went to McClellan High School once upon a time a long time ago. Went to all my brothers and sisters, went to Mapleville, went junior high school, went to McClellan or went to Mapleville High School in some cases. And so this is kind of home for me. So when Drew told me that he was uh, feeling called to come down here, it really got my attention, not just because it was Drew, uh, but because I was very familiar with Temple Baptist Church. And uh, I've, I've actually spoken here many, many years ago, and I've known the staff off and on over the years and uh, a number of the members. And so it kind of felt like coming home. Now, y'all may not feel like I'm home, but I feel like I'm home. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, I'm a country boy. I grew up way out on Colonel Glen Road when it was the absolute wilderness. And I'm the seventh of five girls and another boy. There were seven of us all together. And I was a spool brat. That was what I was really good at. And, uh, but I remember uh, growing up out there on Colonel Glen Road, all my family was from Mississippi. So, you know, we sang, we'll bury all the Yankees in the Mississippi mud every time we cross the bridge going back. It was kind of a family tradition. Some of you aren't laughing. But uh, had, had an extended family was kind of all removed from us. And so we would have family reunions occasionally. And I'm telling you, they were big doings, whether we did them in Mississippi or whether we did them here. We'd have, I mean, 35, 40, 45, 50, as the years went by, 65, 70 people at our family reunions. It was, it was this hugely relational time. And uh, it made me uncomfortable. I mean, I was the baby, and so I'm, you know, running around, and there's people everywhere, and I'd go and hide in my room or try to hide somewhere, and there's enough cousins around that, that was, there's no hope in that. But the, the level of relationship we had, I did not realize, was a lot different from what a lot of people experience today. Did you know that? A lot of, I mean, I've been amazed over the years in working with people how many uh, people have a different family, different relational background. Whether they're relational people or not, all of us thrive in relationship. And relationships are what form us. They, they uh, are the context that we develop in. They're also the context in which we're hurt, aren't they? Gosh, how many times over the years have I heard, sat down with a guy uh, weeping about the relationship he had with his dad or a woman, her mom, or the other parent, as the case might be. But the wounds we receive, we receive in relationship, right? I mean, isn't that true? We, we rarely, I mean, I mean, you can, you, emotional wounds, you can certainly trip on the sidewalk and get wounded by a brick wall. But the relational wounds that we receive over the years are profound sometimes. And one of the things that, that I want you to keep in mind as we talk more today is that the truth of the matter is, though there, there is much joy in this life, if you hadn't noticed, life's pretty hard. And we didn't expect it, did we? No, we didn't expect it. I mean, if you're like me, you were told when you were growing up that, hey, Paul, you need to go to school and make good grades, right? And so you go to school to make good grades, and why do you do that? 
so you can go to college. If you go to college and you make good grades, get a good job, then you get married and you have a family and life is good. Now, do you know anybody who's done that? I mean, seriously. But what else are we going to tell our kids? We're going to tell them, well, Kendall, life really stinks, and you're going to hate it about halfway through and be ready to blow your brains out, but don't worry, you're strong enough, you can make it. Yeah, I don't think we're going to say that, are we? But the truth of the matter is, in small ways and large ways, we all suffer. And one of the reasons that we need each other so desperately is because we need the support and the encouragement that we can get from people that know us that know us well. That was the thing about my family is, is I'm telling you, there were, there were people there that were just as screwed up as Hogan's goat. Who was Hogan? I don't know. But there were. Uh, but they were our people, you know? They were our messed up. And so when you were there, even though it was kind of uncomfortable getting, you know, big old slurpy kisses from Aunt May, there was something about Aunt May knowing who I was. That, oh, you're Juanita's. I was known. And I had a context in which I was known, and it was safe. The, the awareness of that was safe for me. We all need that, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to read the scriptures, okay? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the truth in your word. I thank you for the opportunity to share that truth, and I just thank you for what we've all been able to experience over the years, the growth, the maturity, the laughter, the joy, and the hurt. Lord, I pray that we would have a little time this morning to think soberly about relationships and our need for them and how central they are to our very existence. Lord, I thank you that we have the opportunity to have a relationship with you, and that changes everything. In your name I pray, amen. If you go ahead and bring up the slide on the scriptures, and if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts. Boy, Drew, you've done a great job telling the story of Acts. I've really, I've really been impressed and thankful. We're going to be in Acts 2.42, and I'm going to read that for you. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day. Now remember, this narration comes on the heels of Peter's sermon that Drew talked about so well last week. And, and in that message, the result of it was, do you remember? 3,000 souls came to Christ. Now, what I want you to do is, I want you to, I love to do this. Uh, by the way, I, I like to come down here too. And some of you are worried I'll call on you, I might. So, but we're all family, right? Feel safe? I, I told Kendall I might call on her, and she said. But think about 3,000 souls for a minute. What if you were a resident of Jerusalem during this time? So what would that, what would life have been like in those three years when Christ had been out in the countryside preaching? 
What would your life have been like during that period of time? Well, there's some things we know, and then the rest we can imagine get pretty close. First of all, we know that the Jerusalem in the area was probably somewhere around 80 to 100,000. Now, there are, there are estimates that put it at a million and estimates that put it at 20,000, but the most reasonable estimates seem to suggest it's around 80,000 people. That's really about the size of Benton and Bryant together to kind of give you a feel just for numbers. Although it was a much more metropolitan area, it was a lot denser in the terms of the population. And so then out in the countryside, Christ is out teaching. And, and you know, even if you lived in the city, you, you're getting reverberations of what was going on, right? Because what was going on was really unusual. It was Trumpish so that everybody was talking about it, right? No matter what you think of him, everybody was wondering, well, what do we think of him? That same kind of conversations were going on about Christ for three years. And then you had the series of miracles and the triumphal entry, and you witnessed that. You saw those things. Even if you weren't a part of it, you, you, you heard the crowd shouting and thought, man, this is something here going on. What is up with this? And so the time goes by, and uh, Lazarus dies, and you get word that he's been raised from the dead. Well, that gets your attention. But at the same time, things are feeling kind of out of sorts. Then comes Passion Week, his teaching, uh, Christ's contention uh, that had been ongoing with the leadership, spiritual leadership in the area. Then finally his trial, his crucifixion. And then you already got raised from the dead. That's a big deal. Is to me, I'm getting close. Right? That's a big deal. And so then you hear he's been raised from the dead. And then Peter is preaching this sermon. And in the sermon, you find that your heart is pierced, and all of a sudden, you have a dramatic, miraculous experience. How many of you would characterize your experience uh, in coming to Christ as miraculous? Not just from a logical standpoint, but from a personal standpoint. Was it, was it kind of shocking in your lives? Yes, no? Life-changing. You know, it's the, the, the image you get in Scripture is, I'm in darkness, now I'm in light. It's that dramatic a shift in conversion. Now think about what as the ordinary fella or woman would know about Christ and religion before that moment. I mean, what you had during, during the day was you had liberals and conservatives. Does that sound familiar? And so, and they had the same sort of arguments that we're having. Their subjects were different. So the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, and they didn't believe in afterlife, and the Pharisees did. The Pharisees believed in the traditions being as important as the Scriptures. The Sadducees didn't. And so they're arguing about this stuff all the time. And Christ comes into that, and, he's, man, he's got this way uh, out of left field view on everything. He's teaching things that are different entirely. And so all this is going on. Now, if you were an Israelite during that day, you were by definition religious. I mean, you had to be to function in the society or the community. It's kind of like America was when I was growing up. I mean, everybody was a Christian. You didn't hardly even have to ask, are you a Christian? Of course I'm a Christian. And, and because it, it was a matter of identity. It's a matter of uh, uh, information. It wasn't even a question. We all knew the words. We sang the songs. 
And even though there were some separation and some differences between different uh, theological trains of thought, at the same time, we knew. We knew. Of course I believe in Jesus. Yeah. And, uh, and the sun's going to come up tomorrow too, right? I mean, it's just, it's just normal part of doing business. What they didn't know, what they didn't understand, what the religious leaders missed entirely is that the scriptures were calling them to a depth of relationship that they missed. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees might get involved in good theological discussions about the resurrection of the dead. But what God was saying to them and said, shouted to them throughout the Old Testament scriptures, I'm tired of the sacrifices. I'm tired of the burnt offerings. Please, no more burnt offerings. I want you. I want your heart. I want a connection and a relationship with you. And as you read through the Old Testament scriptures, while there are very stern commands, the commands are all designed to call you to a place where you realize that you can't do it so that you would come to him and be healed. Y'all with me on that? It's real clear in scriptures. You know, Christ echoes the same thing. He talked about in Matthew 7, there are going to be those of you who are going to come to me and say, hey, Jesus, man, didn't I teach a Sunday school class? And we cast out demons over here. And, and uh, you know, I used to teach all the time. I was the pillar of the church. Yes, sir, Rebob. I was, man, I tithed every Sunday. And he'd look at him and say, remember what he would say? Remember? I never knew you. I never knew you. You knew about me, but you didn't know me. And so you acted in my name as if you were a part of my cause. But the reality was we didn't have a relationship. We were not friends. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. You know, I know Barack Obama. I mean, he's been on the news for years, right? And so I know a lot of things about him. But do I know Barack Obama? I don't know him. Do I know Donald Trump? Well, you know, I know a lot about him but I don't really know him, not, not to, you know, sit down with him and say, hey, what's up, bud? How's it going? I mean, if I did that with Donald Trump, can you imagine? Of course, I would do something like that maybe, but now, we can have a knowledge of people but not know them. We can have a knowledge about what God requires of us but miss the heart of it. And this was the, the nature of the Jewish nation at the time that 3,000 of them go, and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? Do you know, Drew made mention of my story, and I, I'm going to share most of that another time, but I had a Damascus Road experience. I mean, I was in a very, very bad way, very sick, very ill, and very self-destructive and I begged and cried out for the first time in years because I'd been really angry with God because he made me like he did. I know that sounds funny, but I was really irritated by that. I mean, I could have been different. He could have made us all different. So it may, really made me angry. But I had been in rebellion against him because of that, but I had this moment of complete surrender when I realized I was killing myself. I was dying, and I was going to die, and it wasn't going to be just an interesting story. And so I called out to him. I'd been brought up in church, as I shared with you. But I called out to him, and you know what? He was there. 
Now, I didn't have a visible manifestation. I didn't have an auditory announcement. But I knew that I was in the presence of holiness. I knew that I had called out to God and he had said, here am I. I called out to Christ and he was there. And my perspectives were just blown up. Kaboom! Everything that I had thought maybe was right but rejected all of a sudden became a little bit clearer. And the evil that I had been about, the evil that I had done, the evil that I was capable of was very, very clear. And that I had received grace, though I couldn't have told you what it was in that moment for anything. I didn't know the words, but I knew the experience of having been accepted. Kind of like Aunt May. You know, big old slurpy kiss. I was safe again. Now, what in the world would have happened if 3,000 people did that at once? Don't you think that would be an amazing experience for them? Of course it was. And so, again, I want you to think about that with me. You've got 3,000 souls, men, women, and kids. Probably men were converted and led their households into that direction. And they have experienced a miraculous transformation. And all of a sudden, they go from a place where they were not informed by the Spirit of God, and suddenly they are informed by the Spirit of God, and it's more than they can take in. It's got to have been. It was for me. How about you? I mean, it was a lot. It wasn't that I wasn't indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but he didn't exactly give me all knowledge in that moment. It's probably a good thing. And so... What happens, though, is, is you, you begin to instinctively understand, if you've had that sort of an experience, that what God's call is, is a call to obedience in relationship. He calls us to a relationship with him which will reflect itself in our willingness to obey his commands. And all of a sudden, you, get, you start getting, this is about a relationship. This is about making friends. This is about a redemption of a relationship that's been ruptured. This is about a lot more than just religious forms or pews versus chairs or carpet one color versus another color. All the things that we can get endlessly involved in, God is saying, you know what? No, this, this, this ex exceeds, this, this is preeminent over all these things. The question is, are we friends? And I'm using that casual term on purpose because it makes us uncomfortable. So, you know, I kind of have a mean streak. Jesus wants us to be in relationship with him. And he calls us brothers. And he called the apostles friends. To be friends with divinity. To be friends with the Almighty. That's an amazing thing. So I remember shortly after my conversion, I had a good friend who had actually come and witnessed to me while I was in my sin. And, uh, but he and I were driving around and and, of course, I was young and, uh, and very foolish. But he and I were talking, and we, we were actually driving down University Avenue. See, I couldn't say that to a lot of congregations because they've never been on University Avenue. But we were driving down University Avenue, and for some reason we had every light green, right? And, I, of course, and I'm feeling the effects of being set free. And so I'm, I'm going, hey, Rick, you know, there's no green light, no red lights in my life anymore. 
talking about the freedom I'd received. Well, he heard something very different. He said, oh, yeah, there are. But see, what, we, what happened was we both had become Christians. We had experienced this change, this transformation together. And so we shared about it. We talked about it. And, we, and, and so I want you to imagine that you're part of that 80,000 people in Jerusalem, and you've now come to an awareness of God and Christ and the nature of relationships. And all of a sudden, your faith and your heart is alive. And so you're experiencing new things, and it's like, Hey, did you read that scripture that said that, that husbands have to love their wives and, and that we're not supposed to get divorced? Wow! Kaboom! And, and that we're supposed, to be, we're supposed to love our enemies? Kaboom! And there's these insights that are just going off. And so I can guarantee you what they're doing is they're running to each other and said, Hey, 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 did you see this? Is this right? What do you think this means? Can you feel the energy and the excitement that must have been there? Can you feel their need for each other to make sense out of this world? I mean, all of a sudden, they've gone from dog eats dog, survival of the fittest and survival of possible, to you want to be first, you got to be last. Kaboom! You want to lead, you got to become a servant. That's backwards. Everything's backwards. And so I need you to help me understand that. I need you in your own life experience and in your wisdom, help me to begin to make sense of these ideas and these concepts that have begun, begun to appear in my life and to call me to make drastic changes in the way I'm behaving. And I, I don't know if I can. We need each other. So I want you to look back in the passage for a minute and we'll see how they responded to this disjoining experience that they were bound to have experienced. And so we're told, if you'll look in verse 42, so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So their first response was, okay, I got to, I, we got to figure this out. Together. Together we need to figure this out. It goes on to say, and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Now that's clearly a, well, I shouldn't say clearly, but it's, for me it is obviously a reference to communion. That's the language that's used to describe partaking of the Lord's Supper and prayer. So what did they start doing? Start studying scriptures, began to worship. And did they do that at home, staring at their navel, alone? No. I mean, there are some things, it doesn't matter whether you're a people person or not, there are some things that are just meant to be shared, that we interpret them through the experiences of other people. They devoted themselves to teaching, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, and they devoted themselves to prayer, and they did that together. And there was a sense of awe among the people. And so they're going, it's like I said, they get this insight, and then they do it, and then it works. Amazing. You're nice to your wife, she's nice to you. What a shock. Maybe there is hope for marriage. Maybe there is hope for my relationship with my parents. Maybe there is hope for me to figure out how to manage myself at work and deal with an obnoxious boss. Maybe there is real truth that I can hang on to that can carry me through. And, and, and maybe there's an explanation for why my life's so cotton-picking hard and why I feel so alone in that. 
So that was the first thing. They, they began to worship together. And then they became aware of God's power on display as they began to experience it. There, were, there was awe among the people. There were signs and wonders being performed. They would pray for each other, and, and lo and behold, the prayers would get answered. Amazing. You know, I've always discovered, I don't know about you, but when I pray for myself, yeah, my results are mixed. If I pray for you, sometimes powerful things happen. Amazing things. Exciting things. So they're aware of God's power on display. So they're experiencing truth and the power of truth. And as they experience the truth, they receive the proof. Does that make sense? So there are miraculous signs that are occurring among them as they are in pursuit of these things that they've come to understand are true which I'm arguing with you today that are, are primarily and centrally about the relationships that they have with God, with Christ, and with each other. That's where spirituality really takes place. Third thing that came up, they began to share everything in common. And there's a real spontaneous feel to this in the scriptures. It's like, if you needed something, well, here, I've got it. And it, it's okay that I don't have it because if I need it, God will provide it. And so there's this spontaneous willingness to share your stuff. Hello? My stuff? With you? Really? Can we imagine that today? Well, actually we do. We, we've kind of created a bureaucracy for it, at least where, where I worked for many years I was a pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock for 20 years, been in ministry, Christian ministry for 30. And uh, I've seen a lot of really good work done in distributing the resources that some people have to the people who don't have it. And so we do do that. But there's a lot more organic feel to it. It's kind of like, oh, you don't have a refrigerator? Well, i got an extra one in my garage. Why don't you come get it, Drew? No, no, it's, you know, it's fine. That's an extra one. It's that kind of spontaneous caring so, so what you have is an expression. We've been studying the scriptures, and the scriptures say we're supposed to love each other. And so I have this opportunity. I've got a refrigerator. Drew doesn't have a refrigerator. I can give him my refrigerator as an expression of my love because I am so amazed by what's going on in my life. I can't believe it. And there's a passion for Christ and enthusiasm. And the more I share, the more enthusiastic and passionate I become. Now, of course, there needs to be boundaries and all that stuff. But I don't want you to miss the heart of I've had this transformational experience. I've begun to study the apostles' teaching and to worship. As a result, I'm filled with awe. And as a result of that awe, I'm very generous and willing to give. Are you starting to feel a little uncomfortable? Maybe. Is, that the way, is this the way we are? And I'm not just talking about temple. I mean, if you get ready to go looking for a church, what do you look for? Do you look for this level of intensity? Gosh, I don't think we expect it. I think we've been disappointed for so long and alone in, individual, in our individual lives for so long that we don't expect for uh, an ability for me to connect deeply and share the ultimate struggles that I'm having with people. I'm not willing to do that because 
I haven't experienced acceptance and love from that. So they shared everything in common. They attended the temple together, shared meals together, praising God together. So I want you to get a feel for this lifestyle. Finding favor with God, finding favor with all the people God added to their number. So, so this kind of, these core concepts of I'm moving into relationship and the more I move into relationship and I try to deal with the truth about what's going on in life, the more, the more uh, uh, excitement and awe and enthusiasm I'm feeling. And so I'm beginning to love each other and beginning to connect with one another. Now, when that happens, well, what I find out is, is your life's just as hard as mine. I thought it was just me. I thought I was an alien dropped off on the wrong planet. And I discovered, well, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm just like everybody else, and that's bad. Because what everybody else is doing isn't necessarily good. That's not way the way we live, y'all. Not most of us. Now, I'm not saying there's not some people here that aren't in great relationships. And I know there's probably some Sunday school classes here that have been going for a long, long time and that you've got deep connection to each other. And I say praise God for that. But by and large, the church of Little Rock, the church of the U.S., is independent, individually, rugged individualism is the rule of the day. And there's not a commitment to interdependence. There's a commitment to independence. And so the last thing I think about doing, actually I went through, I've gone through this as a, a pastor at Fellowship. I've been a pastor there for 20 years. We adopted two children. One of, one of the is the beautiful little girl that's right there. Smiling. You can wave. Yay. Leave me alone, Dad. Leave me alone, Dad. But we adopted two kids. And, and these two kids had been neglected, relationally neglected, from the time they were born until we first got custody of them. They didn't know how to deal with relationships. And I'm telling you, the drama in our house, whoo! I mean, it, it, it has been, it was and has been very, very difficult for us to handle. And when I tried to go talk to people about it within our church, they would tend to filter it through their grid of parenting. You know what I'm saying? And so we'd be telling them, no, you don't understand. When I'm talking about a tantrum, I'm talking about four hours wrestling match in the laundry room with biting, spitting, kicking. I'm talking about she tried to take over control of my car as I'm driving down the road and she's beating the snot out of me and I'm holding her back. And why is she doing that? Because I said I love her and she knows nobody can love her so she didn't want to get close. That was not Kendall, by the way. She's shaking her head, not me, not me, not me. <laughs> And so I would try to explain things to people, but they just couldn't connect. They just didn't get it. And I felt alone. And so I quit sharing. I quit opening my heart up, started holding it back in, and decided we were tough enough, we could handle it. We were going to handle it. Well, we've survived, but, but not well. Not until I began to open up. Not until I was willing to to receive real input. Transparency and honesty are central to the, uh, building a successful church. Relationships are a struggle. They're really, really hard. But I want to challenge you, as you continue reading the scriptures and as you think about your relational networks, how connected are you really 
to other people? Do they know you? Do they know more than about you? They know about you. They know who your wife is and who your kids are. And they know what so-and-so has noticed about you. Hopefully that isn't gossip, probably is. But do you know each other? So do you know each other well enough that when you're facing a back surgery and it's the major crisis in your life, I can respond to that with compassion. And I know how to respond to it because I know you. Now, I want to come back to what I'm saying because I haven't seen a lot of heads nodding. Life is sweet, but life is hard. There's evil in the world. There's evil in our family. There's evil in us. We, we, we don't measure up to the ideal and the standards that we all have in our mind are there. No matter where we're at in our maturity, we know we all could be more, we could be better, we could be different than we are. And we're scared to death that you're going to find out how badly I need to be different because I'm messed up. We need to know that about each other, y'all. So how do you keep an environment that's safe enough for me to know you so well that if I, if I chose to and I shared with him what I know about you, I could really damage you. Some people aren't mature enough to handle that. How can we be safe enough where we can have boundaries and respect confidentiality and do the things that we need to do? You just got to start. Drew mentioned my work. Uh, after leaving uh, staff at Fellowship, I took over a nonprofit called the Exodus Project. What we do is pre-release education for felons who are uh, still incarcerated, men and women. And, uh, and so we have, we have them for 12 weeks, 20 hours a week, 8 to 12 every day. It's volunteer-driven, 240 hours of instruction. It's a lot of different classes. Well, they all come in and they're, you know, bad to the bone and tatted up and, you know, totally cool in all regards. And, and the women are different, but not, not that much different. I mean, there's a wall, you can feel it, it's this thick, and they just assume that you judge them and you don't care about them, right? That's just what they think. And they've had loss in their life, and they've created loss for others in their life. They, they're, they're very familiar with the evil that they're capable of because they're in jail for it. And so in that environment, one of the first things I tell them is, and this is what I want to tell you. You're, you're, what you're going to get out of church, what they're going to get out of their classes, it, the content is the least of it. The knowledge, the awareness is the least of it. I guarantee you within this room, you probably know the book of Philippians better than 99% of the rest of the human race. Right? Honest. Book of Philippians, book of Ephesians, Bible studies, you know, some of you in here for years probably know this passage better than I do and are realizing all the things I'm missing. That's okay. But the knowledge of those things doesn't make your life better. Does it? Can we not know things and still be unable to do them? 
Can we not see things should be a certain way and be unable to reach it and make them that way? See, we don't have power. We don't have the power that we need to change or to grow or to trust or to help or to give. Not in the way that's been talked about in these 3,000 people. We don't, we don't have that power. But we could have. We could have that power. And that's what I tell those men and women. And they, here's another thing I tell them. You're looking around and all you see is felons that you know you can't trust because they're in prison with you. And you know you're not trustworthy, so why in the heck would you trust them? And I said, look around. These will become your best friends. And your ability to stay sober on your release and to stay out of prison will depend on how deep a relationship you build with them. It'll depend on it. We're broken in relationship. We get healed in relationship. If you're taking notes, write that down and circle it. We're broken in relationships. We find healing in relationships. And so they don't believe it at that point. They're going to everybody and everything. But I'm telling you, after eight weeks, they believe it. And, and here's the fun thing. You can watch them change. And guess what they're doing? They don't know we're doing this, but they're doing it. They are pursuing the apostles' teaching. They are praying and praising God. They are sharing all things in common, at least to the extent they can. They're doing the very things that are talked about, and the result of it is they begin to change, and they become filled with a sense of awe and a sense of hope, and they suddenly begin to believe, maybe for the first time in their lives, that they're not doomed to go to prison again, even if they've been there five times, that they're not doomed to being alone, that they can reach out, and as they're facing the difficulty of, of the path of reentry for a felon who is an addict on top of that, and it's, it's overwhelming and formidable, they don't have to do it by themselves. All of a sudden, they're not alone anymore. You know, I've been here enough over the last several weeks that I know it's a huge time of change and transition. I mean, these are chairs, right? And you can either go through that alone, like this, defensive, just trying to kind of take it, or you can do it together. You can do it together. You can avoid the pitfalls that churches for thousands of years have fallen into of getting divided over the things that are really not important. What's important is I know you, and you know me, and I know I can count on you, or I know I can't, and I love you anyway. But we know. That's what church is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be a place where you're safe and where you can heal in relationship. I was really fortunate after my conversion. I had actually been, I had left home at 14 and I didn't go back. And so um, after I did come back and reunite, I didn't re-engage with them as family in the same way. And so I basically spent my teen years uh, on the streets. And so I didn't know how to tie-tie. I didn't know how to work. I couldn't hold a job. Don't tell anybody. I couldn't hold a job. Didn't know how to treat a woman. I was professionally obnoxious and really good at it. And so people would talk about me, and I couldn't figure out why they didn't like me. 
but I was put in this church environment. And while it has its issue, had its issues, what happened in that church environment is they loved me anyway. And so having loved me, I began to feel safe. And so all of a sudden, I became more teachable. And, and some of the people in there had the pleasure of watching me and helping me grow. And so then I, in turn, have given my life back to the church. That's the way it's supposed to work. It can work that way here. You have everything that you need to build a phenomenal church. Not in numbers, but in unity. And in love, you have everything you need to get to know each other in integrity. But you have to choose to do that. It's a choice. You have to choose to go, God, I realize your ways are righteous and mine aren't. And you're calling me to relationship. You're calling me to transparency. You're calling me to honesty. You're calling me to vulnerability. You're calling me to serve. You're calling me to care. You're calling me to step out of my comfort zone. And I don't like it, but I'm going to try. I'm going to decide to try if you'll grant me the power. You know, the good news is for y'all is you got a very loving pastor. Amen? He's got such a sweetheart. I mean, I'm telling you, Drew is a nice guy. I'm not a nice guy. I'm just a guy. Drew is a nice guy. So here's a summary for you. I want you to think about it and pray about it. Do you want to have a great church? Amen. Can we say amen together? Amen. One more time. Amen. Yeah. You want to have a great church? Step out of your comfort zone. Make sure you're in connection with somebody that's here going to church sometime besides Sunday morning. Have them to your home. Take them to lunch. You see a stranger, go eat lunch with them. And so you're pursuing relationships. Now, again, you don't have to be Mr. Relational, okay? I'm not, I'm, I have relational skills, but Drew is really relational. But you don't have to be that way. You can just make a choice to get to know me, to find out what's going on in my heart. And if you'll begin to do that, so you focus as a church, you're going to focus on worshiping together. Worshiping together. If you're going to focus on growing together, you're going to learn the apostles' teaching and pursue the apostles' teaching, but you're going to do it together. And so you're going to share with, with each other the insights that you're getting, not about the exegesis of a passage, but about what it means to your life. And share that with each other. Worship, community, serve each other. Be willing to share all things in common. And so whether it's appropriate to share physical needs, you're at least willing to share, hey, I've been around for 60 years, and I'll be glad to share with you what I've learned if you want to hear it. And so the older can pour into the younger, and the younger can invigorate and stimulate the older if they will. But you've got to choose to do that. Community. Biblical community. Biblical relationships are authentic Vulnerable and transparent. Don't settle for superficial relationships in this group. That doesn't mean you have to be deep with everybody. I'm not saying that. But are you deep with anybody? Are you deep with anybody? Go deep. Don't settle for less. 
And so make, make the greeting that you give somebody, hi, I'm glad you're here, more than a Hollywood invitation. Yeah, we ought to go to lunch sometime. Oh, excuse me. We, we need to step forward into people's lives, even though we're not feeling necessarily invited, and not step back. Will you step forward? Will you do that? One of the things that I think you're going to find, I hope you find, that if you're not willing to do that, you're going to find yourself out of step. Out of step. So worship together, grow together, serve together, and focus on biblical relationships together. Reach out. Don't settle for less. This is real doable, y'all. And it sounds kind of old hat, but I mean, they called them fellowship halls for a reason, right? And, and uh, they have baseball fields and, and exercise areas and basketball for a reason, so that you can do life together. So let me leave you with this. All right, there's one author who really talked about having community together, particularly in neighborhoods. And he said, here's what real community is. When you can uh, come by my house, knock on the door, come in, go to the refrigerator without asking, and make yourself something to drink and something to eat. Because you, you know you're welcome, see? That's the kind of relationships we need to have with each other. And so the challenge for Temple Church, are you willing to step into the risk of that and the pain of that, and the joy of that, and really become one as a body. Thanks for having me. Let me pray for you. Lord, you're so good. You're just so good. I, and I, I'm, I'm just beginning to even start to understand some of the ways that you've organized us Lord, I thank you that I've, I've come to some sense of the importance of relationships. Lord, would you help me to move deeper? Would you help me to become more transparent and more vulnerable? Would you help me to see that, that having relationships is more than just, you know, singing the tie that binds and it's being bound, feeling a sense of responsibility, feeling a sense of help and support. And that to the extent that we can do that to each other, with each other, to that extent we can find healing in our lives. Lord, give us healing. Lord, I pray that you would comfort those who are in distress uh, in whatever level in their lives, whether it's health or family or kids or whatever. I pray that you would support those that are confused, that you would lead and guide them. And Lord, I pray that you would visit this church with a sense of awe as they break bread together and pursue one another in love. In your name I pray, amen.